Welcome to the 41st episode of Sharing Life Lessons. This is the first episode of Season 5. We are one soul, one spirit, and together we are creating a library of stories. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. A very, very happy new year to all my listeners out there. I am so excited to start my fifth season in the very first week of 2021. It is a new beginning for me, for this podcast, for you and for everyone else out there. I wish the new year brings health, happiness, love and abundance to you and yours. No one can disagree that 2020 divided us in fear. Let's take it upon ourselves to change that, to unite again even more ferociously to respect our universal home, the earth, to nurture all our relationships with family, with friends, and with colleagues, and most of all, to uplift each other. My 2021 vision is to love myself, to love everyone around me, and also to uplift others as much as I can. I hope to meet you along the way as co-lovers and co-creators. And now over to the introduction of our very first guest for season five. It is my pleasure and honor to make this introduction. Our guest has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, including the nine book Conversations with God series. Seven of these nine books were on the New York Times bestseller list with book one remaining on the list for 134 weeks. His books have been translated into 37 languages. His latest book is The God Solution, which was published in December of 2020, and most of our dialogue today will be based on this new release. We will have two very special episodes with Neil, and thus this is part one of my discussion with one of my favorite authors. Everyone, let's welcome Neil Walsh. Honestly, I must add that not only was I able to learn so much from Neil during our discussion, but he made it fun because he has a sense of humor that was far beyond what I expected. I can't wait for all of you to listen to Neil and partake of the wit and wisdom he has achieved through his conversations with God. Welcome, Neil, to Sharing Life Lessons. You don't know what an honor it is to have you on the show. And... I am full of gratitude to you for beginning my fifth season. So thank you. Well, you know, it's an honor to be here with you as well. All of us are wonderful aspects of divinity. None of us more special than the other, but all of us special each in our own way. So it's lovely, lovely to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation to share this time with you. How may I serve you? Neil. Just before we start, I want to say this out front so the listeners know that you are very special to me. I want to start this interview with something that I pulled out of Conversations with God, your very first book. And this particular quote has guided me through my life. Every time I have an issue or a problem or I have questions and I need an answer, I just go directly to this quote. So I want to start with this quote. It says, yet if you knew who you are, that you are the most magnificent, the most remarkable, 
the most splendid being God has ever created. You would never fear, but you do not know who you are and you think you are a great deal less. That has guided me through my life and I just wanted to put it out there. So before we start, Neil, can you please tell us a bit about your current self? Where are you now? Well, I'm an old person. I'm 77. I had open heart surgery three years ago, which has given me uh, a new lease on life. So I feel quite young. I have written 39 books, including my most recent book, which has just been released called The God Solution. I'm married. I've been married uh, for 13 years to the love of my life, a remarkable human being who is teaching me much about what love really is about. And I see my purpose in the world as sharing a new idea of God. I might even call it a new definition of God as rapidly and as widespread as I can because I think that's going to be the answer to the dilemmas that the world's people are facing. I'm not going to be facing those dilemmas. You know, I'm a young, old person. I like to say I'm a young, old person, but I'm really, I'm going to be only here a while longer, not, not much longer. As I said, I'm, I'm almost 80 years old. But for the younger people among us, those in their 30s and 50s, and to say nothing of those in their 20s or in their teenage years, they're going to be looking um, at if they live a good long life uh, many years ahead. And it would be really nice if the world could be a little bit different from the way it's been in these most recent years. Let me share something here. When I was a young man, the world was a very nice place to be. When I was a teenager and in my preteen years, and even in my early 20s, the world felt like, relatively speaking, a pleasant place to be. Of course, we had problems and there were um, some tragedies and there were some attitudes that did not serve us and so forth. But it wasn't quite the way it is today where I'm seeing today a level of alienation, really a level of separation, almost almost antagonism Mm -hmm. between people that I did not experience when I was a younger man. And I'm hoping that that level of antagonism, that level of alienation can evaporate, can disappear. And I think that the reason uh, that we are seeing this uh, kind of uh, alienation between people of different nations, between different races, between different religions, between different cultures, between different sexual realities, between different uh, genders, between different political parties. It seems as if anyone is different from us in any significant way. They're simply not okay. We have gone to a place where we have decided that differences are not okay. Uh, And I'm not quite sure what that is about, except that I do have an idea of how we can solve it. So to answer your original question, where am I today? I'm spending my last years on earth offering ideas on how we might solve this level of antagonism and alienation that I'm seeing all around me so that my children and my children's children and even their children, my great-grandchildren, 
don't have to live in this kind of terribly difficult and straining relationship in this environment that we are now seeing on the earth. For, for one thing, last sentence, if I might, for one thing, I don't think we're going to survive as a species if we continue with this point of view. We need to rearrange our ideas about who we are and the purpose of life, or I don't think that life is going to be able to be continued the way we have been experiencing it here on earth into the distant future. Anil, I want to say a resounding amen to that, not only for myself, but like you said, for my children and for my children's children, because I am with you. This is not the world I grew up in. I grew up in a more peaceful, a more friendly, a more let's lift each other up kind of a world, which I miss so much in current times. So amen. Well, normally we start with a personal story in this podcast. And I don't dictate what that story is, but I will take the liberty to ask you to tell us the story about what led to the conversation with God. We've read it. I've read it many times, but just hearing it from you will be such a treat. Well, everything in my life was going wrong when I was 50 years old. I was in my, the end of my 49th year. I had a terrible automobile accident. I broke my neck and I wound up having to wear a therapeutic collar on my neck for the next 18 or 20 months. And I couldn't work. I wasn't allowed to do any heavy lifting. In fact, they were telling me that I wasn't even allowed to lift so much as a half gallon of milk from the refrigerator because it would put too much of a strain on my neck. So I couldn't do very much. I wasn't paralyzed, but I, there was very little activity that I could engage in. And I wound up being out of work. And I, I wound up ultimately having to live on the street because I had no income. My parents had passed on. I was 50 years old and, and I didn't have anyone who was willing to support me or, or give me an income as I was recovering from my injury. Mm-hmm. So I wound up living on the sidewalk, actually. I, I found a little homeless park and I was able to pitch a tent that my former wife allowed me to take out of the garage. And so I had a tent I could get out of the rain in, but I couldn't get out of the cold. It's pretty cold living in a tent. Mm -hmm. And I didn't live on the sidewalk that way for just a few weeks or just a few months. This went on for an entire year of my life, two weeks shy of one year. So that was the turning point that caused me to have my conversation with God, because here's what happened. Finally, after almost a year on the sidewalk, I did find a little part-time job at a local radio station. I had some broadcasting experience, so I was hired as a weekend fill-in announcer. It didn't pay a great deal, but at least it got me off the street. And I wound up living, you know, in rented a house, Mm -hmm. a tiny little cottage behind someone's larger home. And so at least I was out of the weather and I was back in the game, so to speak. But that's when everything really hit me because I realized, oh my gosh, I'm right back in the rat race. And the only problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. I didn't understand. 
And then I got a full-time job. They really liked me at the radio station and I wound up getting a full-time job. I wasn't earning a, a great deal of money either, but now I was earning at least a little bit more. But then I realized, is this it? Is this really all there is to life? I'm 50 years old. I'm earning just enough to pay the rent on my little cottage and put some food on the table and maybe buy a little cranky old jalopy that at least would get me from place to place. Is, is this it? Is this how I'm going to end my great adventure on the earth? What is it that I don't understand here? And so I fell to my knees one morning. Mm -hmm. uh, this is really a true story. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly what happened. I woke up at 4.23 in the morning and I went out to the living room of my little cottage. I sat on the couch and I began writing a very angry letter to God. Mm -hmm. What does it take to make life work? What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? Somebody tell me the rules. I'll play. I promise I'll play. Just give me the rule book. How does it work? And after you give me the rules, if you don't mind, please don't change them. Because I also, also had the experience that the rules were changing from almost from year to year. Different rules were being established for how to live one's life. And so I was really calling out and I, I wrote this angry letter to God. And that's when I heard a, a voice. And the voice said to me, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Or are you just venting? And I remember sitting there on the couch thinking, yeah, yeah, I am venting. But if you've got answers, I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. And God said, you are sure as hell. But wouldn't you rather be sure as heaven? Mm -hmm. And I, th I thought, who is this talking to me? And what is that supposed to mean? Who is this talking to me? And what is that supposed to mean? And I realized that I was actually having what I later called a conversation with God, that this voice I was hearing in my mind was really a voice of wisdom and clarity that exists within all of us, that is part of all of us. So I began writing other questions that I had. I received other answers. And before I knew it, I was involved in an on-paper dialogue, question, answer, question, answer. And this gave me pages and pages of written material. And I was really feeling enlightened by what I was receiving because the answers I was being given to my questions were not answers I'd ever heard before in my life or even thought of. For instance, one of the answers I remember vividly was, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. I remember thinking, what? I've been taught all my life about the Ten Commandments. I mean, almost every religion on the planet has some set of rules and regulations. Absolutely. How, how can you say there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments? So I couldn't believe that, but I, I allowed myself to continue the conversation because it was bringing me all sorts of insights that I couldn't believe and had never heard before. Then, somewhere around one-third of the way through the dialogue. By the way, this was going on for weeks. I should explain that this was not just one day. This first day, it took about six, six or seven hours, mm -hmm. but I finally had to get up and you know do other things. I had to get off the couch and get up and move around. Mm -hmm. But then it turned out that every morning around 4.23 in the morning, I'd be awakened again 
I, I would race back to my yellow legal pad. I actually went to the drugstore and bought four or five other yellow legal pads because I realized this was going to be an ongoing experience. So I wound up sitting there every morning at 4.23 in the morning, writing more and more and more of this, what I called a conversation with God. Then it said to me, you will make of this one day a book and it will be read by many people. And that is your work. And I was shocked by that, but I thought, ah, now I got you. Now I'm in the driver's seat because this is something I can measure. See, everything I was being told, all that I was hearing in my mind were conceptual things, lovely things, but theoretical, conceptual. I couldn't prove it one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But here was a statement that was being given to me that was provable. This was going to be a book. Yeah, I thought to myself, of course. I can see 115 publishers racing to put this book out by a man who claims to be talking to God. Right. It wasn't going to happen. I knew it wasn't. It was silly. Mm -hmm. So, but, but I sent it to a publisher on a dare. I was daring God, okay? You say that this dialogue I'm having with you is going to turn into a book? We'll see about that. And I sent it to a small publisher of the East Coast of America. They actually published my handwritten notes without changing a single word, just took it off the handwritten page, typed it up and put it into a book. And by golly, if the book didn't sell over a million copies, who would imagine something like that? I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. Are you saying, and to the listeners, I am holding up the first book of Conversations with God. Are you saying this book is just typewritten stuff of everything that you've wrote by hand on those yellow legal pads and you haven't edited anything? This is exactly no. the conversations you had with God. No, there's not one word changed or one word edited. They simply took my handwritten pages and typed it up and put it into the book. In fact, they, they laughed because my publisher told me that all of my books are the only books they've ever published with no editing. He, he, he goes out to the workroom floor where all of his employees are, and he says, who wants to edit God? You know, and, and, and nobody wants to take up the challenge. So they put my books out, interestingly enough, without one single word changed or edited. So it's exactly as it comes through, if I could put it that way, exactly as it comes through me. That's true even of the most recent book, which is not a dialogue book, it's a narrative book. But even my narrative books, books that I narrate with one voice, are books that I believe are inspired uh, by that aspect of wisdom that resides within all of us that I call God. So no, my books are never edited. Not a single word has changed. And the book that you held up in your hand is in fact a word for word transcript of my handwritten notes. So here's what I'm curious about. At what point did you actually believe that what you're hearing in your head is just not your own chatter? But when, I heard, was... when I heard this, I can remember, and I may, may have mentioned it a minute ago, but when I heard the sentence, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments, I remember that moment vividly and I thought, now, now, wait a minute, that's not something I've ever heard anywhere. It's, it, in fact, it violates what every, everything I have heard everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and I began to get scared and worried. And, oh my gosh, am I, 
Am I trafficking with the devil? What am I doing here? What's going on? But then the explanation that I was given was so extraordinary that even ministers and priests were writing me letters from around the country and across the world. I, re I remember one letter that I got vividly from a minister uh, on the East Coast, actually from somebody, I believe it was a minister in New Jersey, who wrote me a letter and he said, Mr. Walsh, I'm not sure that I agree with all that you've written, but it certainly has created a food for thought in our um, theology class here at the church. And you've given us food for discussion for the next couple of years. So thank you for reopening the conversation about God with your conversations with God. And I, I thought, well, if it doesn't do anything else but that, if it only reignites people's curiosity and people's willingness to explore the whole question of who and what God is, it will have done what uh, it was given to me to do. But that's when I realized that I was having a conversation with the source of wisdom and clarity that resides within all of us that I have come to call God. I realized that when I was starting to receive information that I never heard anywhere else, not just the Ten Commandments sentence, but the other was like, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, there are no victims and no villains in the universe. And, and many other statements that were so unusual, so antithetical, so contradictory to what I had learned as a child about life, that I thought, okay, I'm having a conversation with a source that is way above and beyond what most people have been exposed to or allowed themselves to uh, experience in their life. Thank you for that wonderful story. Again, like I said, it's a treat just listening about it from you directly. So thank you. Neil, in your new book, which just got released, you talk about the God dilemma and you talk about the God solution. And the way you portray the God dilemma is you say we simply can't come to a collective agreement about the higher power that would allow us to make effective use of it. Anthropological studies have shown through the years mm -hmm. that eight out of 10 people believe in a controlling power or what we would call a higher power. So eight out of 10 people believe there is such a thing called God. They can agree that there is a God, but they can't agree about God. We can't come to an agreement about who and what is God. What does God want? What does God require and demand? What does God do? How does God work? How does the higher power work? We simply can't come to an agreement about it. Do you know that as we are talking today, there are 4,300, I said 4,300 religions mm -hmm. on the face of the earth. And that gives you an idea of how separating we are. We can't seem to agree on a single notion. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And that's what The God Solution asks. The book, The God Solution, asks this question. Wouldn't it be interesting and wonderful and powerful if we could simply agree on one single statement about God that we could all rally around, that we could all actually embrace, that we could all actually take into our life and practice as part of our demonstration of who we are? 
So the God solution suggests that if we had a single notion about God, that we could all agree on from culture to culture, from religion to religion, from nationality to nationality, we could all agree on the same single statement, then that statement could create an ethic, a new ethical standard, which could also be applied to our political, our social, our economic, and all of our spiritual interactions. So we're looking for what could that statement be? Is there something we could all agree on that could form a new global ethical standard. So what the book offers is that statement. The book says, let's redefine God. Let's create a new definition of who and what God is. And let's put that definition into two words. Let's see if we can agree on this. God is pure love. Not just love, God is love. People have been saying, yeah, God is love for thousands of years, but God is a particular kind of love. God is pure love. And so I asked myself, okay, what is pure love? What's the mm -hmm. difference between love and pure love? Pure love is the kind of love that needs, asks for, expects, hopes for, and demands nothing in return. Can we believe in a God? who demands, commands, expects, and requires nothing in return in order for us to be returned to God. Can we return to God? That's the question. No, so far, we haven't been able to do that. So far, we've actually embraced a notion that God says you must do certain things and you must not do certain other things in order to come back home and spend eternity with me. Some religions actually say, no, you don't understand, Neil, this is really very critical. You must actually belong to our religion. I know that there are 4,300 religions on the earth, but only one of them, only one of them is acceptable to God. So if you're kind, if you're compassionate, if you're caring, if you're loving, if you're patient, if you're forgiving, if you're generous, it doesn't matter. None of those things matter because you know what? You might be one of the nicest people on the face of the earth, but you happen to be raised in the wrong religion. And so you're out of here. Not only are you not gonna be allowed to go to heaven, which is bad enough, we're actually gonna punish you. Mm -hmm. Not only not let you into heaven, we're gonna send you to hell where you will experience everlasting endless torture beyond anything you can imagine because you didn't belong to the right religion and this is the god that we believe in that billions of people not a few hundred but this is the god that billions of people believe in well no wonder we're judgmental mm -hmm. and critical and punishing and condemning of each other because we've been using god that particular kind of god as our model. We are modeling our behaviors on the behavior of the God in which we believe. Now, what the God solution suggests is that if we change our fundamental beliefs about God, and I use the word fundamental advisedly, not by accident, mm -hmm. if we change our fundamental beliefs about God and allow ourselves to embrace a notion that God loves us without condition 
and without requirement of any kind and will allow us to return to God in heaven, no matter what religion we belong to or what our idea of God is, if we can imagine ourselves embracing such a notion, a God of pure love, then that particular kind of deity will suddenly become our model. And we can use that as a model of how we might want to behave with each other. Maybe it's okay with me if you're a conservative and I'm a liberal in our politics, or if you're gay and I'm straight in our sexual relationships, or if you're a woman and, and I'm a man, or maybe it's even okay with me if you have dark colored skin and I have white skin. Maybe our differences are okay. Maybe I don't need to be alienated from you simply because you are different from me. Maybe I can be as loving to you as God is to us. Wow, wouldn't a new idea of God change things on this earth? It would, Neil. It would be wow. But this is where I think the resistance would come from. It would no come kidding. from the leaders of the religions. Of course it would. And how do you propose working with that? I think that all the armies of the world and all the religions of the world, to paraphrase, cannot defeat an idea whose time has come. Mm. I think that the world's people are growing impatient with themselves. I think that humans are growing impatient with themselves and that we're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait just a minute. There must be something here we don't fully understand about God, about life, and about ourselves. There must be something we don't fully understand, the understanding of which would change everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that how I would deal with what you described, the resistance of people and particularly of religious leaders would be to place before humanity an idea whose time has come. Maybe it's as simple as this, God, is pure love. And let's experience and express pure love with each other. That doesn't mean we always have to agree with each other, but it does mean that we honor the differences between us. And it does mean that disagreements don't have to create division, that contrasts don't have to create conflicts, that variety does not have to create violence. It's not necessary for us to attack each other simply because we are a bit unlike each other. The flowers in your garden don't attack each other. The roses don't attack the tulips. The tulips don't attack the violets. The violets don't attack the, I mean, come on. Can't we all be flowers in the same garden? and admire the beauty of each other and allow each of us to experience our individuality without making each other wrong for doing so. This is a very profound thought and 
you're right. If the world accepts this and lives by this, it would be uh, a world I would really want to live in forever. <laughs> I think more and more people in the world are going to accept it. And you're seeing now younger and younger people already accepting it. When you talk to younger people, you know, in their teenage years and in their early 20s, they're looking at us old people like, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, really? Is this the way you're going to behave toward each other because that person belongs to a different political party? Do you really need to reduce yourself to name calling and verbal bullying and actual physical violence? Do you need to insult each other? Is insult the way you're going to demonstrate leadership? And it's sad that we have had this experience in the past most recent years on this planet where we have come to imagine that leadership requires insults in order to be effective. And Neil, I have a 17-year-old and my fear is that in his formative years of his growing up, this is all he has seen. Instead of seeing the good sides of people, he's only seen the negative sides and the bullying and the name calling. And I am worried about the impact that that has on him. It's up to us who are leading the way. It's up to us older folks to share with the, those young people who are exposed to that particular culture to demonstrate a new way to be human. And that's why I wrote The God Solution, because The God Solution lays out ways in which we could offer that demonstration and ways in which, by the way, we could actually use the higher power that we call divinity as an agent for change in our own lives and in our collective experience on the earth. Listeners, this was part one of a two-part series with the world-renowned author Neil Walsh. We continue this enlightening dialogue in our next episode of Sharing Life Lessons. And I have to reiterate that it was my absolute honor to have this one-on-one dialogue with Neil. As always, here are my key takeaways from this very enlightening discussion with Neil. One, there is a voice of wisdom and clarity that exists in all of us, undoubtedly. Two, many believe in the presence of the divine being, but we also need to agree upon who and what is God. Let's see if we can agree with the statement, God is pure love, and specifically pure love, because it is a kind of love that needs, asks for, expects, hopes for, and demands nothing in return. Can we together believe in such a God? Because surely, what would God need, want, and expect from us that he already does not have? 3. Wouldn't it be powerful if we could all simply agree on this one single definition of God that we can all rally around, take into our lives, and use as a model to practice as part of our demonstration of who we are? And lastly, it is up to us, the older generation, to demonstrate a new way of being human to the younger generation. Listeners, just when I was about to finalize and close the editing of this episode, a friend of mine sent me this song, and it is as if the universe is prompting me to add this song onto this episode. 
The song is sung by John Lennon in 1971. It is called Imagine. I am going to play part of the song here because I can't stop myself from doing it. Because the message that Neil is trying to spread in the world and the message that we get from John Lennon's song Imagine is so similar. I am playing the version that was sung by Shakira. And the lyrics go like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Enjoy. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky Imagine all for people Living for today Imagine there's no countries It isn't hard to do Nothing to kill or die for And no religion too Imagine no This brings us to the end of this episode, which is part one of a two-part series with Neil Walsh. There are links in my show notes of how to connect with Neil, and also you can buy his most recent book, The God Solution, from Amazon and other online sites. I will bring you the second part of the series next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.